0: Thank you so much, music team. That was great tonight. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9, and we are going to be looking at our third passage uh, in this series that we're calling Come and Die, and uh, Answering Christ's Call to Follow Him. And we're looking at all the, the key passages in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus uses the phrase, follow me, and he unpacks it for us. He illustrates it for us. He expands it for us so that we understand what did Jesus actually mean when he said, follow me. That was the gospel according to Jesus. If you you were to ask Jesus, hey, what's the gospel? The gospel is simply this, follow me. Well, what does that mean to follow Jesus? We We started by looking at verse 23 If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We said those were the conditions for following Christ. And then last week we looked at verses 24 through 26. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And we said that these were the considerations for following Christ. In other words, why should you consider following Christ? Why why should you consider denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following Him? Well, He gave us three considerations, three reasons why we should do that. And tonight we're going to move on to what we could call the challenges to following Christ, the challenges to following Christ. And we find that in verses 57 through 62, just the end of the chapter there, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And I'll read it for us. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. God, we want to understand what it means to be fit for your kingdom. And we know that it has everything to do with what it means to follow Christ. And so as we consider these three verses, or Five verses, I guess. Lord, that you would illuminate us by your Spirit, that we would have an accurate, clear uh, understanding of what Jesus meant by what He said to these three folks. And Lord, if there is anyone here tonight who is not a true believer, they've never truly turned away from following their life and their way and their will. And, and I pray that tonight, that they would. Truly come to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Hernando Cortez was a Spanish conquistador who made his mark in history by conquering the Aztec Empire and claiming the land of Mexico for Spain. Cortez served under Governor Velazquez of Cuba. And with the governor's permission, he organized an expedition to explore Mexico and capture its treasures. But just before he departed, the governor revoked Cortez's commission because he feared that Cortez would not recognize his authority once he landed in Mexico. Well, Cortez left anyway, with a crew of 600 men aboard 11 ships. And after months of sailing, they finally reached the Yucatan Peninsula, And as soon as the ships were unloaded, Cortez did the unthinkable. He commanded that all the ships be set on fire. It was all part of his strategic plan to secure the complete loyalty of the men who had agreed to follow him on this expedition. He didn't know who or what they would face or encounter on this expedition, but he did know one thing. Burning the ships meant returning to Cuba was not an option. And so if the fighting got fierce, if the food grew scarce, or the men got disgruntled, there would be no talk about sailing home. And so from that moment on, there was no turning back. Now, that's what I call total, radical, loyal commitment. And that's the kind of commitment that Cortez expected from the men who wanted to follow him on his expedition. And that's the same kind of commitment, I believe, that Jesus Christ expects from those who want to follow him. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Christ, you must be willing to burn your ships. Now, that's an expression, a, a familiar phrase that we use from time to time to describe a situation where a person has to make a decision which is impossible or at least very difficult to undo after the decision is made. And there's no decision in life that epitomizes this expression, burn your ships, than, than the decision to follow Christ. Because when Jesus invited people to follow him he was insisting that they be totally, radically, loyally committed to him for the rest of their lives. That's what the word follow meant, to remain loyal to a master, to be persistent in obeying him, to pattern your life after him, to live like he lived, thinking what he thought, saying what he would say, doing what he would do. And that's the essence of the Christian life. It's a a permanent, lifelong commitment to live like Jesus Christ without ever turning back to live the way we used to live before we met Him. And again, as we've been learning, unlike some preachers today who seem to make it so easy to become a Christian, Jesus made it hard. Jesus made it hard to become a Christian. And here we have another example of what we're calling his de-invitations that were intended to challenge those people who weren't truly committed to him. And in this particular text, Luke uh, grouped together three different conversations that Jesus had with three different people who said that they wanted to follow him. And I think these three people are a lot like people today. There are people today who want to be associated with Jesus Christ, or they're sincerely interested in becoming a Christian, or maybe they even profess to be a Christian, but they've never seriously considered the cost of what it means to be a Christian. And even though these three people in our text seemed ready and willing to follow Christ, Jesus didn't encourage them, but he discouraged them from following him. And he laid down some very difficult demands to test them and and really to test the genuineness of their hearts. And at, at first glance, you may think, well, these statements that Jesus makes to these people, they sound harsh. But we need to keep in mind that Jesus knew exactly where these three people were at. He was able to see what we can't see, and that is he was able to see their hearts, And Jesus knew that they weren't truly and completely committed to following him. And so his his brief, blunt conversations with each one of them challenged their level of commitment. And I think these three conversations were intended to challenge the commitment level of all of us tonight. Not just the people in the text, but anyone who says they want to follow Jesus... These are three challenges that will test whether or not we are truly and completely committed to Him. You may have come here tonight thinking, "Yeah, I'm 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 truly I'm completely committed to Christ." Well, that commitment level will be tested tonight by these three conversations. I want us to see these conversations not just as conversations, but as challenges. Three challenges to those who want to follow Christ. What's the first challenge? We could call this sacrificial commitment. Sacrificial commitment. Notice verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Matthew tells us in his gospel that this guy was a scribe, a teacher of the law, a member of the Pharisee party, who as you know, were generally hostile toward Christ. They were constantly questioning his teaching, and yet, according to Matthew, this scribe ad- addressed Jesus as teacher, and so he was being respectful to Jesus as a fellow teacher, if you will, and apparently he may have seen the crowds and heard Jesus speak and perform miracles, and, and he ca- got caught up in all of the emotion, the excitement surrounding Christ, and he wanted to be a part of it. And so he enthusiastically came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. It's almost as if he was too ready. I meet these kinds of people from time to time. After church, I'll be standing by the door and somebody who is there visiting for the very first time they come out, and they're all excited uh, about everything that happened, and, and they say how much they liked our church, and, you know, how they want to become a member of our church, and, and, and I'm like, great, who are you, and, uh, you know, where do you come from, and we start to talk, and, and guess what, I, 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 I never see him again. They come out all excited, all enthusiastic, like, hey, this is it. I'm coming here. This is my church. I want to become a member. How do I join this church? And then you never see him again. And Jesus threw a challenge out to this guy in verse 58. And Jesus said to him, okay, you, you want to follow me wherever I go? The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus chose two of the most despised pests in Palestine to make a point, foxes and birds. And he said, even these these despicable little animals that are abhorred and uncared for, at least they have a place to live. They have holes, they have nests. But I don't have any place to rest my head. I don't have a home in which to live. And and neither will you if you choose to follow me. As you know, Jesus never had a a home during his earthly ministry. He was always uh, spending time in other people's homes. But obviously, Jesus knew that this guy hadn't considered the cost of following him wherever he went. And so Jesus was essentially saying, listen, before you make such a bold statement, okay, you need to understand what you're getting into, Following me requires great personal sacrifice. It's not a life of comfort and ease or fame or glory. You need to forget about your dreams and and your plans of living in some grandiose, luxurious house and, and be ready to endure hardship and discomfort as a wandering stranger on this earth. I like how Kent Hughes describes what Jesus was saying here. He said in his commentary on Luke, he says, So what did Jesus mean by his strong assertion? That the foxes have ber- holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He meant that at times, those who followed him would literally be homeless. That they would undergo immense discomfort. But more, Jesus was saying that if you walk with him, you will sense that the world is not your home. There will be dissonance, discomfort, unease, and rejection. He was saying that to follow him, one must embrace a life of discomfort. And again, it may not be physical discomfort. It may be just relational discomfort. He went on. He said, no one who commits to following Christ lives a life of ease. No one. If your Christianity has not brought discomfort to your life, something is wrong. A committed heart knows the discomfort of loving, difficult people the discomfort of giving until it hurts, the discomfort of putting oneself out for the ministry of Christ and his church, the discomfort of a life out of step with modern culture, the discomfort of being disliked, the occasional sense of having nowhere to lay your head, but Christ rewards far outvalue anything lost by following him. That's a good perspective, isn't it? Now, let me say this. I, I, I don't think that, What Jesus meant here is that a Christian cannot live in a nice house or drive a nice car or wear nice clothes. But these things take second place to our commitment to Christ. And we must be willing to go without all of these things, these these comforts of life, if that is what God chooses for us. Our priority must be to pursue Christ and to trust Him to provide for our needs and our wants. Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 6, not to worry about what they were going to eat, what they were going to wear, where they were going to live. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added to you as well. And I can tell you based on my own personal testimony that ever since I committed my life to pursue Christ, to follow Christ, that He has faithfully and abundantly supplied all of my material needs, and then some. I have never lacked for anything. And even so, all the material stuff that we enjoy, particularly here in the West, in the U.S., it doesn't matter in comparison to the joy of knowing Christ and making Christ known. One of my heroes is David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a missionary back where I grew up in Massachusetts, and he was a missionary to the American Indians during the colonial era. And uh, he was so committed to reaching the natives with the gospel of Jesus Christ that he turned down an invitation to pastor one of the largest, wealthiest churches in Long Island. And even to this day, right, you think about where you know, the the, the, the the rich and the famous live. They live on Long Island. And so he had this opportunity to, to be a pastor of, of one of the largest, wealthiest churches there, but he chose instead to live out in the woods as a, really a vagabond in, in a simple log cabin. Um, he'd ride around on his horse and he'd sleep on, on these hard poles inside these corn cribs. And uh, Even sometimes he would sleep in the snow in the dead of winter because he was out looking for these Indians to share the gospel. And so he literally sacrificed his health and ultimately his life for the cause of Christ. And before he died of tuberculosis at the age of 29, he wrote this in his diary. And I love this quote. He said this, I don't care how or where I live if I could just gain souls for Christ. I don't care how or where I live, if I could just gain souls for Christ. And so I think Brainerd really exemplified the kind of sacrificial commitment that Christ demanded of this guy in verse 58, and that he demands of all of us who claim to be his followers. And so the first challenge is to sacrificial commitment, sacrificial commitment. The second challenge is what we could call preferential commitment, preferential commitment. And this will become clear as we look at these next two verses. Verse 59, and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go, bury, to go and bury my father. So the first guy comes up and says, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And in this case, Jesus invited a guy to commit his life to follow him. But the guy said, essentially, okay, but let me first bury my dad. Now, this guy's dad may or may not have been dead yet. I know that might sound weird, right? Then why would he want to bury his dad, right, if he's not dead yet? Well, he could have been sick or aging. Because back in those days, in the Middle East, um, it was the son's responsibility to stay home and take care of his father until he died and the inheritance was divided. So this guy may have been saying, hey, listen, I can't leave my dad right now. He's still alive, and I have a responsibility to take care of, uh, of him and, and, and uh, you know, stay at home until uh, all, all, of, all of this is taken care of. So I, I have a responsibility to take care of at home. Or he could have been dead. Um, And the Jews considered giving people a proper burial more important than anything else. Took precedence over studying the law, serving in the temple, killing the Passover lamb. Uh, And so this guy may have been saying, hey Jesus, yeah, okay, great, but I I can't leave until I bury my dad. That's That's more important than anything else. And then notice how Jesus responds to this, verse 60. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Well, what did Jesus mean by that? Allow the dead to bury their own dead. He probably was thinking in his mind, I guess, of, of those who have no spiritual life. In other words, let, let the spiritually dead bury the dead. We know that Ephesians 2.1 says that uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? And so I think he was likely referring to those who had no spiritual life, that that were totally dead or insensitive to the things of God. He said, let them, let the spiritually dead, bury the dead, because they can bury people, but they can't preach to people. He said, "Let let the dead, the spiritually dead people, let them bury dead people, but you You go and proclaim the good news. In other words, the task of preaching the gospel, the good news of salvation, is far and away the most important thing that we can do. It's a far greater responsibility. It's a far more urgent duty than bearing your father. And the point is this guy, this guy wanted to postpone following Jesus Because of some other duty or some other responsibility that he thought was more important or more pressing. And so the problem was his priorities were out of whack. Because for the Christian, there's no higher priority in life than following Christ. There's no greater loyalty in life than Christ. We must prefer him above everything and everyone else. That's what I meant by preferential commitment. Nothing or nobody should come before Christ in our life. We must give Him preferential treatment. That's what Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty-seven. He who loves father or mother, what you remember, more than me, is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, we shouldn't love anyone or anything more than we love Christ, including our spouse, our children. Our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our job, money, food, sex, sports, movies, you fill in the blank. Nothing should be more important to us than Christ. Now again, let me say this. I, I don't think Jesus meant that we shouldn't go to our dad's funeral <laughs> or, or that we shouldn't take care of our dad's. He's simply saying that we need to realize that our relationship with Jesus Christ is more important than our relationship with our Father and everyone else for that matter. Our responsibility to Christ takes precedence over our responsibility to our family. I'll never forget a girl named Jessica. She was a student at Van Nuys High School back in California when I was a youth pastor and she went to one of our winter camps, and I'll never forget her coming up to me after the evening session, after the speaker got done, and um, we were dismissing all the students, and she made a beeline down to me in the front as I was dismissing the students, and, and she told me she wanted to commit her life to follow Christ based on what she had just heard, and, but she said, I'm afraid of how my father will respond, what my father will do, what he'll think. And she went on to explain that her dad was a staunch Catholic and uh, would be probably very angry with her if she came home and said that I became a Christian at winter camp. And so I commended her for wanting to honor her father. That is well and it's good. But then I challenged her that it was far more important for her to honor Christ And that her love for Christ had to be greater than her love for her father. In fact, I quoted that verse in Matthew that if anyone loves father or mother more than me, right, you're not worthy of me. And so by God's grace, Jessica committed her life to Christ that night. And uh, the next day I said to her, hey, why don't you come sit with me and the speaker for, I don't remember if it was uh, breakfast or lunch, but we sat down with her we said now listen we want to we want to coach you <laughs> as you go home and and we just want to encourage you to not run into the door you know run run through the front door of your house and drop off your sleeping bag and your duffel bag and say hey dad guess what i became a christian at camp this weekend we said don't do that you go home and don't tell your dad anything You live your life so radically different. You be so different than you were before you went to camp that he'll come to you and say, what happened to you at winter camp? Because you're a different person. I don't hardly recognize you. Um, you respect him. You honor him. You obey him in ways that you just take it to the next level. And, and you wait for him to come to you and ask you what happened. And then, then, then you can tell him. After he's seen the fruit, after he seen the, the result, hopefully that he'll like, then you tell him about your commitment to Christ. I share that story because I think her decision to follow Christ that night, despite her fears of what her father might say or do, modeled the kind of preferential commitment that Jesus demanded of his followers, that he demanded of this guy. In verse 60, that he demands of us here tonight. And so we have sacrificial commitment. We have preferential commitment. And then thirdly, we have what we could call unconditional commitment. Unconditional commitment. Look at verse 61. Another also said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. So here's another guy who was all excited about following Jesus. He volunteered, but with one stipulation. He, He requested to be able to go say goodbye to his family and friends to set things in order first. Which on the surface doesn't seem that wrong. Seems like a reasonable request. But it does reveal some reluctance that this guy had some reservations. His commitment was conditional. It's as if he were saying to Jesus, hey, I'll I'll come to you. I'll follow you on one condition. Well, notice what Jesus thinks of conditions. Verse 62, but Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom, kingdom of God. Jesus compared serving him or working in his kingdom to plowing a field. And you can't plow in a straight line if you keep looking back over your shoulder. That's a hard thing to do, right? You're going to be kind of you know, going all over the field. And so in essence, what Jesus told this guy was, listen, if you're not going to be Fully devoted. If if you're not going to, and I'm not going to have your full attention, you're not going to be devoted to this task of serving me and following me, then you know, stay out of my field. I don't want you messing up my field with a bunch of crooked furrows all over the place. You're, You're no use to me if you're double minded or half hearted. And so if you want to follow me, you have to be single-minded. You need to be wholehearted in your devotion and your commitment to me. And so when, when you come to the point in your life when you truly commit your life to follow Christ, you have reached the point of no turning back. You, you've reached the point of no return. You, you can't go back to your old way of life. Thinking the way you used to think and talking the way you used to talk and doing what you used to do and hanging out with the people that you used to hang out with and going where you used to go and longing for the things that you used to crave and wondering what I might be missing out on. What am am I missing? Looking in the rearview mirror, what am I missing out on now that I've committed my life to Christ? Jesus expects us to unconditionally surrender everything to him and leave it all behind and never look back. How many of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress? Okay. If you haven't yet, put it on your summer reading list, okay? Um, the most read book, second only to the Bible, okay? Very important book to read as a believer, but if you're not familiar with it, um, it is John Bunyan's classic allegory of the Christian life. He was a Puritan pastor who was put in jail for like 12 years, and when he was in jail for preaching the gospel, preaching the word of God, uh, he uh, wrote this book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And the story centers around a man named Christian who we find in the beginning um, of the story he has this burden on his back and he has a book in his hand well you can figure that out pretty quick what's the burden on his back sin and what's the book in his hand the bible and so he reads the bible and he finds out that he is condemned to die along with all the other inhabitants of the city of destruction who were under the judgment of god and were going to be destroyed by fire and so he tries to warn his family and his friends, but they all think he's crazy, and nobody will listen to him, and everybody just laughs at him. And so he eventually be, is befriended by a guy named Evangelist. How appropriate is that? He, all he knows is, I'm, I'm, I'm toast. I'm living in the city of destruction, and we got to get out of here, and I don't, I don't know how. And so the Evangelist shows up, who tells him to flee the wrath to come. And so what does he do? Pilgrim takes off running. He flees the city of destruction. And let me just read the words of Bunyan himself. I love this. He says So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. And so he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. The neighbors also came out to see him run, and as he ran some mocked, others threatened, some cried after him to return, and among those that did so, there were two that resolved to fetch him back by force. The name of one was obstinate, the name of the other pliable. Now by this time the man was a good distance from them, but they were resolved to pursue him, which they did, and in a little time they overtook him, and then said they said to the man, uh, or then, then he said to them, neighbors, why have you come? They said, to persuade you to go back with us. But he said, that can by no means be, because you dwell in the city of destruction, the place where I also was born. I see it to be so, and by dying there, sooner or later, you will sink lower than the grave into a place that burns with fire and brimstone. Be content, good neighbors, and come along with me. Obstinate replied, what? And leave our friends and comforts behind us? Yes, said Christian, because all which you shall forsake is not worthy to be compared with a little of that which I'm seeking to enjoy. And if you will go along with me, you shall fare as I myself, for there where I go is enough to spare. Come away and prove my words. Obstinate said, what are the things that you seek? since you leave all the world to find them? And Christian answered, I seek an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, and it is laid up in heaven and safe there to be bestowed at the time appointed on them that diligently seek it. Read it so, if you will, in my book. Tush said obstinate, away with your book. Will you go back with us or not? And I love Christian's response. He says, No, not I, because I've laid my hand to the plow. Christian was truly and completely committed to following Jesus Christ. The question is, Are you? Christian burned his ships. The question is, Have you? See, we all have a decision to make in life. The Bible says that all of us are by nature objects of God's wrath. We are those living in the city of destruction. We are sinners, and God hates our sin and must punish it by us being separated from him forever in hell when we die. That's the bad news. The good news is that he loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us to die in our place, to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, God poured out all of His wrath against man's sin on His Son so that we could be forgiven and so we could live forever in heaven with Him. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So what's the decision? The decision that all of us need to make. We, we could be like obstinate, who was unwilling to leave his friends and his comforts behind him to follow Christ. Or we can be like Christian, who willingly gave up everything to follow Christ because he realized that all that he gave up didn't even begin to compare with even just a little of what he would gain. I'm sure you're all familiar with that old chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. You may not know the story behind that song, I grew up singing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus, right? We, we grew up singing that song, but it wasn't until recently that I actually heard the story behind that song. And it's based on a true story of a Christian family who was persecuted for their faith in Christ. Um, they lived in India, northeast India, and so there was this man and his wife and children who were converted to Christ during the late 1800s through the efforts of a Welsh, Welsh missionary. And the village they lived in was deeply entrenched in Hinduism as much of India still is to this day. And it was brutally ruled in those days by headhunters. And so the village leaders decided to make an example out of this man. And so they had he and his family arrested. And they demanded that this man renounces faith in Christ or his wife and children would be killed. And his bold reply was this. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. And with that, his wife was killed right in front of him. Again, the man was told to recant his faith in Christ or his kids would be killed next. And despite the threat to his beloved children, he said this, Though none go with me, still I will follow. And after watching his kids be murdered, again, right in front of him, the man was given one more chance to reject Christ or be executed himself. And the last thing he said before he died was, The cross before me world behind me. Well, as a result of this family's martyrdom, a revival broke out in that village. And those headhunters who had killed him ended up repenting and placing their faith in Christ. And so many others were converted to Christ as the gospel spread like wildfire throughout that entire region through the testimony of this faithful family. And and, and this is astonishing story of this man's unwavering commitment to Christ spread as well. And a, a famous Indian evangelist heard of this story and he took his dying words and put them to music. And this song became one of the most, uh, well, one of the first Indian hymns as Indians were coming to Christ. This was one of their first hymns. And in fact, it's, a, it's still a beloved hymn in India to this day, sung in churches there and, and of course, around the world. If you're not familiar with the words, it goes like this. I have decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And then the last verse. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross Before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. It's exactly what Jesus said. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Let me just ask you a few questions as you have your head bowed before I close in prayer. What excuses are you making for not following Christ? Or maybe what is holding you back from being completely committed to Christ? Are you willing to rise to these three challenges to offer sacrificial, preferential, and unconditional commitment to Christ? See, the commitment to follow Christ is an, is an all or nothing decision. It requires us to burn our ships. Father, we're thankful for these Apparently harsh words, insensitive words, no wiggle room kind of words that Jesus spoke to these three individuals, but we rest assured in the fact that Jesus knew their hearts and what might seem like innocent requests or things that they wanted to do but we know that they were revealing something that Christ was opposed to and needed to correct. And so, Lord, as we consider our hearts tonight, Lord, I look around and I know that many people here have already committed their lives to follow Christ. And this is just a good reminder for us of what it means to be a Christian. That this is the kind of commitment level that we need to offer Christ on a daily basis. But Lord, if there's just one, maybe, even just one child or young person or adult here that has never truly committed their life to follow Christ, that you would grant them repentance and faith tonight, that they would be willing to give up everything, to burn their ships, and to turn away from their life of sin and follow you without turning back or looking back, and I pray you do that for your honor and your glory. And Lord, I pray as we go out from here tonight and tomorrow and as we will be around unbelievers in our workplace, in our neighborhood, at our gym, at our school, uh, in the grocery store, Lord, at the gas station, um, maybe on our, our team that we play with, that we would have the wisdom and winsomeness to proclaim this good news of salvation to those who desperately need to hear it. Lord, there's so many in our, in our community and, and here in the South, in the Bible belt, who, who are deceived thinking they're Christians when they're really not. We don't want them to have to hear someday, depart from me, I never knew you. And so would we be bold Father, in our um, evangelism and that you would give us opportunities, each one of us in the next few days, that we could even maybe come back Sunday and have some stories to share, some testimonies, and not to pat ourselves on the back or to make ourselves look spiritual, but some stories of rejoicing, opportunities that you've given us to tell people about Jesus. And Lord, we'll do that in faith, trusting you that you'll bring those to Christ that you've called and uh, that we would not carry that pressure that we've got to convince them. But Lord, only you can do that. And so help us just to be faithful, to put the truth out there, and to uh, plant the seeds, and trust you to to produce the fruit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, it's great to have you guys here tonight. Thank you again for coming. If you want to talk some more about uh, something that you heard tonight, maybe a question you have, or um, you just want to know some more, let's, let's talk. I'll be up here. And uh, again, make sure you introduce yourself to those around you. If you see somebody you don't recognize, go up and greet them. Uh, make them feel at home here. And uh, you guys enjoy your time of fellowship uh, while you wait for the students if you've got students to be done. So you're dismissed.